The meat of live is Christ. The meat to die is gain. Every moment in between, there'll be joy and there'll be pain. I can't worry about the future or change a thing about my past. I've got this moment to believe and I'm gonna make it last. I am filled to be emptied. This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. Good stuff. All right. Um, Ooh, the spirit's moving today. Yeah. Okay. We are uh, we are coming to the end of our series on all of our core values and all of our questions that we're asking as disciple makers, and we're at the the, the place where we're beginning to ask: Am I discipling someone? Is there someone that I can pour into? If God is filling me and filling my jar. How am I emptying myself for others and what does that look like? And, and so we have been asking you to just consider it this way. Uh, listen with two ears. One ear for yourself. There are some things that we need to know for ourselves. There are some things that we can do to grow and be closer to God and, and for our faith to increase, for us to mature. At the same time, if we listen with the other ear, uh, for something that we can teach someone else. If there is something that is said that, and we have to be careful with this. Most of the time we only listen, we listen with both ears, but for one reason. We either listen to take care of ourselves or we listen to fix someone else. This isn't about fixing someone else. This is about recognizing that there is truth that may help someone understand who Jesus is and how to follow him. And so we listen with one ear to follow Jesus and we listen with the other ear to make followers of Jesus. And that's what we're trying to do. So what we've done is we've kind of, we've made a, um, because Paul often, not just in Ephesians 6, but in many places, talks about standing firm. We took the word stand and we made it into an acrostic that helps us to understand what it looks like to, when we gather together, how we disciple someone. The first thing we do is we submit to God ourselves. And we talked about that last week. Today we're talking about being willing to talk about life. And we'll, we'll explore that a little bit more. Once we've done that, then we begin to assess each other uh, and see, where are you, brother? What, what are you struggling with? What are you, what, what, what's going well? Um, a lot of the times uh, when I'm in a shield group, I'm asking this question. I ask, what's one thing you can celebrate and what's one thing that's keeping you up at night? Um, but that's a way for us to talk about life together and assess each other and then nourish each other by sharing in God's word and recognizing that God is teaching you and he's teaching me and we both have something to say. And the last thing is to defend each other's holiness, which means to stand for each other. Sometimes that means I've got to be the strong one. Sometimes that means you've got to be the strong one. But we are standing together. And like I said last week, even if that means at the end of the day, we look like we're participating in a three-legged race, at least we're crossing the finish line. And that's what Paul says, is he wants to run the race so as to win the prize. And um, that prize is the upward call of Christ Jesus to what he wants us to become. So that's what we're trying to do. Um, so today, as we're talking about talking about life, we want to ask this considered question. What keeps you from opening up to others?
Okay, so today we're going to look at a passage that shows us how to talk about life, right? How to live life together as believers and how God wants us to talk to each other and how to treat one another um, in order to become a community. And so the passage we're going to be in today is 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. It is literally the end of the letter. So it's Paul wrapping up his letter, his second letter, which we believe is actually a fourth letter that he wrote to the Corinthians after three visits. That's how much trouble this Corinthian church was having, is they needed three visits from Paul and four letters to get things all straightened out. And so wouldn't it be interesting to know how he finishes his correspondence with them? Yeah, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles underneath your table. Um, or you can use your YouVersion app. We rec highly recommend the YouVersion app. Yes. It is um, very easy to use. It's free, and they just updated it. Yes. I'm liking the new update. And it's really it cool. Yeah. Really, it's, I think it's much more user-friendly, actually, than it was before. Do you have the passage up there on the screen? Did you click it? Oh, I did not. Okay. Second, so Second Corinthians, Corinthians 13, 13. Okay. 11 to 14. If you guys are there, say amen. Amen. Okay, I'll give you just... One more seconds. C.S. Lewis in his classic book, Mere Christianity, said, the whole purpose for which we exist is to be taken into the life of God. When we live together in community, we experience the joy that Paul is talking about in this passage, which we're going to read in just a second. And when we come together in a common place, sharing common things and pursuing a common purpose, we get to know what God already knows is good. When we have community, we have God. That is why Jesus was so right when he said, for two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am also. We prayed that as a worship team this morning. Mm -hmm. God, whether there's three people out there or whether there's 25 people out there, we're going to worship you because you deserve our praise. And we know that you're going to be here and be present. Yes. So God wants us to live together in community so we can know him and understand him. But in yes. order to have the community that Paul is talking about in this passage, it begins with the hard topic of relationships. <laughs> it starts with relationships. And for some of us, relationships sounds easy, but for some of us, it sounds really, really hard. Some of us have not had good relationships in the past. Some of us have not had good guardians or parents or people or mentors that we can look up to. And so the word relationship can be a little scary. And then for some of us, the relationships, if we were blessed enough to have good parents and a good home, relationships is a little bit easier to talk about. But at the end of the day, the truth is real relationships are hard work, aren't they? Whether it be a friendship, a marriage, it doesn't matter what it is, what the relationship is, a coworker, right? Relationships are hard work. They take time, care, and concern in order for them to produce love and peace in our everyday lives. If I don't get along with my coworker, it can make my life really unpeaceful. <laughs> can I get an amen? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay. And when a relationship is neglected, love and peace are just memories. So in our text for today, the Apostle Paul, along with our wonderful God, have the solution to restoring meaningful Christian relationships. So let's read the passage together. 2 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 11. If you're there, say amen. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, That's better. Go. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful, grow to maturity, 
encourage each other, live in harmony and peace. Um, grow, then the God of, I'm sorry, live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All of God's people here send you their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So why did we pick this particular passage to talk about community and talking to each other? Because the Apostle Paul wrote this, like Michael said, in the first, to the first century Corinthian church in his second letter for the exact purpose of restoring broken, dysfunctional relationships. Things in the, in the Corinthian church were getting pretty ugly. And Paul had already addressed some of those issues in a previous letter to them, but was informed that there were more relationship problems that had come up, such as unforgiveness, second-guessing their pastor, cowardly giving in to unbelievers, and not following through with a promise given to another community of believers. So their sins had basically sucked the blessings out of their relationships. Yes. And that's something we can definitely learn from the Corinthian church is that when we are not right in our relationships, when we are not aligning with each other, as we're going to learn about here in a minute, that those sins, today they suck the blessing out mm -hmm. of our community. Their relationship had not produced the love and peace God had intended them to bring. Now, like I said before, we all know how hard relationships can be. Anyone can have a relationship with someone, but the difficult part is having a fulfilling relationship where both parties have their needs and wants fulfilled, right? We usually use marriage here as an example, right? Because we always say the world says 50-50, but in reality, God says 100-100, right? Because we're constantly trying to, what we're supposed to be doing is fulfilling the needs of, of our spouse, yeah. you um, know? Another one is uh, marriage is give and take. But the minute you start taking in a marriage relationship, you start losing. Marriage is give and receive. Right. And if we can give and receive, then that means that we, we aren't trying to take anything from the other person. We are waiting and allowing that person to give what they can in the moment. Sometimes one will be able to give more than the other, um, but that shouldn't stay that way forever, should it? There should be a time when there's a, uh, a switch in that, a vice versa so that each one is supporting the other when they need it the most. That marriage relationship is, that whole concept is the first relationship that God set up for humankind. But it was meant to be a kind of a guide for us in all of our other relationships. And that's, that has to do with how you and I relate to each other in the body of Christ, as well as how my wife and I relate to each other. Correct. So what Paul does is he gives a solution here in this passage 11 through 14 and they actually call it what's called the apostolic blessing is what a lot of theologians will call it in order for the believers in Corinth to realize what God had intended for their relationship to be with each other they had to be restored and united in their in, in their own in their minds well said. and so when you first hear these verses like when you first read it you know you think oh Paul was such an eloquent writer you know? <laughs> may the yeah. grace of the Lord Jesus Christ you know and he is an eloquent writer right um, but the thing is if you ask yourself what would happen if, if you break this down especially verse 14 
it's actually very practical. It's a practical way for us to look at it. So ask yourself, what would happen to my relationships if I had more grace like Jesus? Here's the thing. Without grace, we can't talk to each other. Without grace, we cannot talk to each other. So the first part of 14 is may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to break that down. Basically, verse 14 covers 11 to 14. He ends with a ta-da. This is what I'm telling you to do. This is how you treat each other. But it's blanketed or it's covered in verse 14. And so we start with me, the grace of Lord Jesus Christ. So without grace, we cannot talk. Keep in mind that grace is an undeserved gift. Jesus' whole ministry was one of grace. He was constantly doing things for people who didn't deserve it. And as my mama used to say, he had a red mark in the middle of his forehead with his disciples, with his guys, because he was constantly doing this. <laughs> right? Okay, was, guys, let's go over it again. Yeah, yeah. Huddle up. Yeah. Let's go over it hello, again. Hello. And so <clears throat> they didn't deserve it, right? But he decided to take our sins on his shoulders, and he gave us his righteousness. He didn't say we had to work for it. We didn't have to ask for it. He would just give it to us. And that, my friends is grace sometimes grace is hard to understand sometimes it's hard to accept but jesus says i know you don't know me but i know you i love you here take this cleansing here's my riches my perfection let me give you eternity in heaven the way that connects to verse 11 is where it says dear brothers and sisters i close my letter with these last words and then it says be joyful and so other versions will say rejoice, but the actual root of that is charis, which is the same root for grace. So what it actually is telling you is live inside the grace of God. When you rejoice, what you're doing is you're restoring the joy in your life. And the root of that joy is the grace of Jesus Christ. So when we realize that God loves us enough to die for us anyway, even when we are feeling like muck and mud, we have the ability to be restored, and because of that, we can have joy. We can be okay regardless of the circumstances. No matter how I'm feeling today, it doesn't change the truth that God has chosen to love me and die for me anyway. Mm -hmm. And that can restore me to that place, which means that I can then use that same grace to help restore you. That's right. And you can use that grace to restore me. That's right. Paul sums up the gift of our Jesus in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. We have that to put up there. Perfect. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. The gift of grace of Jesus, it was himself. Right? He laid down his divinity with all his God abilities in order to become a man and fulfill all that was needed in order for us to have a relationship with him. The God of the universe did that for you. And if you were the only one on this planet, he would have done it for you. He gave us himself to make us rich, not rich in money, but rich in our relationship with our spiritual father. Now all of God's promise to his children are yeses to us. Second Corinthians 1.20 says that. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen ascends to God for his glory. Do y'all know what the word amen really means? 
May it be so. May or it be so. Be it. So be yes. it. Yes. So can I go to heaven? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Will you protect me? Yes. Will you forgive me no matter what I've done, no matter how bad it is? Yes. Will you be there th with me through all of my problems? Yes. What would it mean for your relationship to have more of this grace, the relationships you have with others? This is one of, one of the reasons that I love those little books of promises that, that some people will give out where if you're depressed, it has verses where God promises to lift us up, where if you're anxious, God promises to take care of us, different things like that. When we say without grace, we can't talk, what we mean is grace is the, is the foundation for everything. When we are not acting in grace, then we act in judgment. And if we are talking to each other and acting in judgment, you have met people like that, and maybe... Just maybe every once in a while you have been that person who has acted in judgment and put yourself in a position where the relationship was strained or broken because the two of you didn't agree. And you, had, instead of acting in grace, had decided to put your line in the sand and say, I'm right no matter what. And me being right is more important than my relationship with you. So without grace, eventually all talk breaks down. It's when we realize that neither, none of us know all of the answers and all of us are seeking after uh, something in this life. And if we are each together seeking after God, then we should be able to come to an understanding together. And the way that we do that is through grace. That's right. So how can this gift, because notice it's three parts in verse 14, right? It's three parts. It's not just may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next part is love love of God, God the Father. Because without love, we can't listen to each other. It is because of the love of God that we are able to do that. What would happen in our relationships if we had more of the love of God for each other? And that, and remember, we did a whole series on that, right? And that love was agape love, a godly yes, love. Yes. Not a worldly love, a godly love. Right? We hear people talk about the love of God, and we know God is love, but what is the love of God? And the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And when I think of God's love, it blows my mind. Yes. God's love for this world covers both the past, the present, and the future. Because God is not, we have time, but God is not. Right? So we know from John 3.16 that God so loved the world. Right. But put that together with what we know about people, and it blows your mind. Why? Because people change. We've changed. Our societies have changed. Our yes. people have changed from the yes. beginning of time until now. And guess what? People are going to change even into the future. But here's the thing. Thank God he still loves us no matter how much we change. The person that, married, that Michael married 29 years ago, I'm not the same person. Right? <laughs> She's still, she's still as cute, though. Thank God. So. We don't look the same. We don't have the same dreams. And I know that I am not what he bargained for all the time. 
At times I wonder why he still loves me because I have changed so much. But God continues his undeserved love for humankind throughout history, for all people, through every change, good and bad. The love of God is one of those yes, yes. promises that we just yes. talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And his love runs deep like an underground river bringing fresh water and nutrients to our souls. Right? And so now, what would it mean to your relationships to have more of this love of God? It's the ability to trust and be confident that God is taking care of the world on our behalf. That's a powerful weapon against fear. In other words, we're getting inundated with these news, with the news and with all of this negative stuff that's going on in our world right now. And it can be pretty scary, right, if you watch it long enough. But what is God saying? He's saying, I've got it. I had your past. I have your present, and I have your future, and I'm going to love you no matter what. So guess what? Don't be afraid. I've got the world. What I care about is you. Do you love me? Because I love you. The love of God is the opposite of fear. Love is a very vulnerable position to take. To give yourself to a sinful person, that's risky, isn't it? That's risky business. Matter of fact, in another place, the Apostle John writes that perfect love casts out fear. And so we need to know that. So without love, we can't listen. Without unconditional love, we can't listen. And the reason is because, let, let's just be honest, when we have conversations, most of the time, especially nowadays, when we are having a conversation, we are spending more time formulating our answer to what the person is saying than actually listening to what the other person is saying. And one of the amazing things is that God is willing to shelve all of that and listen to us fully until we are finished. And so I think that it takes an unconditional love to say, I'm going to, I'm going to wait. I'm going to let you finish before I can respond. I'm going to concentrate more on what you're saying. And the first thing I'm going to ask is if I understand you correctly in what you're saying so that I can respond in a way that is loving and full of grace as well. And that helps to protect the relationship. If we do not, in love, listen, we cannot respond in grace to talk. I think that's really important when we are talking with people who are not believers or even anti-believers, and I'm just going to use that phrase. Mm. There are people in this world who really hate what we believe. And so when we're talking with those people, if we're confronted by those people, the last thing we should be doing is arguing with them. Right. Right? right. We need to stop. We need to listen. And we've talked about this before. It's probably been several months ago, but we talked about when we share with other people what we believe and why we believe it, one of the key things to doing that is listening. Mm -hmm. yes. It's actually not talking. We hear the word evangelism and we think it's all about, we do all the talking, we know all the answers, but actually evangelism is taking the time to have grace and to listen to the person, even though we know what they're saying is not true. Yes. And that they may be saying some very hateful things. Now I'm not saying you should let people walk all over you. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, it begins with listening to where they're coming from 
in order for you for God to use you to take them to where they need to be. Does yeah. that make sense? Leonard okay. Sweet wrote a book called Nudge, and it's about redefining what evangelism is. Make no mistake, St. Francis of Assisi never said, preach the gospel wherever you go, and when necessary, use words. St. Francis would always end with the gospel, and that requires words. But where does that fit? Do you see, you think of the parable of the sower, the, 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 uh, the land has to be prepared to receive the seed. And so what we do when we listen is we prepare the land so that when the time comes to give the seed, it's on fertile ground, it's not on the path. It's not in the rocks, it's on fertile ground. And God has promised us that if we do that, that we will yield crops 30, 60, 100 times more. Mm -hmm. That's right. So now we know if we could get more of the grace of Lord Jesus Christ and more of the love of God, our relationships would be filled with love and peace. So how do we get this grace and love from Jesus and God? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Yes. That's the last part. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That word for fellowship is really used in a variety of ways throughout the, the New Testament. But the main meaning here is to share something in common with somebody often in a very intimate way. You know how they are, how there are some people in your life that you just love spending time with, right? When they enter the room with you, it brightens up your day, it puts a big smile on your face. I can think of several people that I feel that way about. But remember when Peter, James, and John were up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and God appeared to them, that's how they felt in the presence of God. They didn't want to leave. Yes. That's the kind of experience that Paul wanted the Corinthians to have, to have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with them. And that's why here at the jar, the Holy Spirit is always welcome in this yes. place. Yes. And we will always allow him to move in the way that he wants to move because it's really, really important. Right. The Holy Spirit is the bind that connects us to the grace of Jesus and the love of God. Wow. So it binds those two things that we just learned about. Notice he said them in order. On purpose, right? So the Holy Spirit binds the grace of Jesus, the love of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes us children of God so that all of God's promises can be a yes for us. There's that yes again. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we forget, and I do this too, that the Holy Spirit is the source of our continued relationship with each other. So a lot of times we'll ask the Holy Spirit to come into this place but we forget that we need to be using the Holy Spirit when we're when we're relating to each other, right? You, you stopped preaching, went to meddling. <laughs> <sighs> oh man, I have done an extensive word study on this concept of fellowship, and there are there are two words that are often used in the Bible for fellowship, and they are related to each other. The first one we often hear of it's koinonia, and koinonia is about that that mature relational. It's, it's why we have potluck dinners. It's why we get together. It's why we're having a worship night, Saturday night. It's why we have festivals and do things like that. And we celebrate with each other. It's why we have gatherings on Sunday. That is one reason for it is because we want to develop and grow those relationships. So back in verse 11 where it says, be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace 
then the God of love and peace will be with you. Right. It's, it's setting all of that up and saying that koinonia is important. We have to be getting along with each other. But the other word in the Bible is koinonos. And it's another, just another form of koinonia. And it means to be partners, to be partakers, to be on mission together, to be working together to bring about an end. And so while we are creating koinonia, we need to also be re creating koinonos. We need to remember the reason we're relating together is because we have a message to share with the rest of the world. And if we do that, then we start realizing that the things that disrupt our koinonia mess with our koinonos. When we can't get along in here, we can't share the message out there. And that's why so many people today have decided to shy away from the church because there is something that has happened that has disrupted the koinonia. And the enemy loves to use that to cause us to avoid to be on koinonos because he doesn't want the message shared. And so what he wants is for one of two things to happen. Either for us to bicker and argue and fight so much inside the church that nobody wants to be with us, or that we completely isolate ourselves from the church so that we have absolutely no effect on the world around right. us. The answer to that is instead to rely on the Spirit through the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father to create fellowship with the Holy Spirit, with each other, and that means coming to you and me and the two of us being willing to talk about life together. To talk about, to encourage each other means to give courage to someone. We, are, we, are, we struggle sometimes, and, and I want you to think of encouragement not as saying nice things so that people feel better, but saying the things that prompt them and stir them up to good deeds, the things that cause them to start seeing their Christianity as more than just a relationship with the church and more than just a relationship with God. He made us to be vertical and horizontal. And when we miss one of those, we miss out on both of those. Right, right. And we can't uh, uh, rely on the Holy Spirit to give us encouraging words for each other if we don't know each other. Yes. That's why community is important. That's right. We have to know each other in order to encourage one another. Not always. But boy, God can do some pretty mighty things when he does do that. That's I've right. seen it. I've and so that's it. why one of our points is without fellowship, we can't thrive. We can exist. We may even to some extent succeed, but we cannot thrive without fellowship. Fellowship with the Spirit, fellowship with, the, with Christ, fellowship with the Father, and fellowship with each other, but also in a way that coin on us when we go out and we start figuring out ways to have fellowship with the people out there and help them to see what it looks like to bring them in here and show them the love of Christ. Now, this is something I don't do very well, but this is the whole reason that I wrote the book that I wrote. It's called Rethink. You can find it on Amazon. And the reason that I'm promoting it is because there are people on the podcast and on the radio who haven't heard about it. Um, but my name is Michael Rogers, and this word, the book is called Rethink. And it's, the, the byline is Finding Hope, Faith for the Frustrated. It's people who are frustrated with the church, but they love Jesus a whole lot. And that's important for us to recognize that the enemy wants us exactly in that place. The enemy wants us so frustrated with the church that we isolate ourselves and we find our church in quote-unquote nature. We find our church uh, out on the fishing boat. We find our church driving in our car, praying on the way to work. We find our church, uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. As a matter of fact, God wants us to do all of those things right. because he wants us to be fervently pursuing our faith. Right. But when we isolate ourselves from the church, 
We become easy pickings for the enemy. Right. And he does, he does two things to us when that happens. The first thing is he starts convincing us that God looks a lot like us. Mm-hmm. And the second thing that he does is that he causes us to stop talking about him altogether. We suddenly get to the place where God looks a whole lot like us and we use that knowledge to judge the people around us instead of to have the grace and love that he has for us in fellowship. So what we want is for us as the jar and as the church, big C church, to be one. But not just for us to be one, to be one so that we can reach one. Be one, reach one. What does it look like for us to have koinonia here so that we can have koinonos together out there? And that's what God is trying to show us. And he models it for us. God in his infinite grace and in his very person models it for us. So I have this thing about the Trinity here. Uh, This is the Trinity models community for us. And it's the unity of God. So if you notice, this is the Celtic Treyarch. And at at each point, there's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And it is true that the Father is God and the Son is God. And the Spirit is God. But it is also true that the Father is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. We don't know how that works. It's beyond our comprehension. I'm glad, because if we could explain it, we could make it up. But somehow, He is three and one and one and three. And He expresses community by His very person. So if you are out there and you think, I can do this all by myself... Jesus says, really, because I need the Father and the Spirit. And the Father says, really, because I need Jesus and the Spirit. And the Spirit says, really, because I need the Father and the Son. We need each other. We are stronger together. And that's how we learn. Listen, if we didn't need each other, we wouldn't need grace. Because we would be living in perfection. And if you don't believe that, look all through the Scripture, New Testament with Mm -hmm. Jesus. How many times does he pray to the Father? How many times does the Holy Spirit intercede? Yes. It's all through the New Testament, right? That those that the three are one and the one are three. And together, God basically shows us. And here's the thing. If God is unified, then he expects us to be unified. Yes. And he okay. knows that that unity creates community. The, and unity doesn't mean I agree with you all the time. Unity means we agree that there's something more important than me being right and you being right. There's something that he wants from us. And it may be that I do it a little differently than you do it. Let's not argue about that. Let's do it together. Because we're going to reach more people if each of us is doing it our way. But we are all unified in what we're trying to do. And what we're trying to do is spread the good news of Jesus Christ. So if we are doing it differently and every church looks a little different, praise God, that's more opportunities to reach more people. Instead of fighting, let's join together and remember the koinonos, the mission is God's will and God's will is that all men might be saved and sanctified in him. So what does that look like? Well, that unity, when we allow it to create community, then community creates opportunity. And that's where we want to live as a church. We want to live in that place where we are so unified as a community in the koinonos and in the koinonia that we take every opportunity to reach others for Jesus. I want to say something too. 
because there's some people I, I know I've talked to that say, well, I don't go to church because as soon as I walk in the door, everybody's fake. Everybody's smiling and I'm saying hello <laughs> and da da da. Yeah. And they all act like they get along when in reality they don't. And you know what? That is a true statement. We don't all get along with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Even inside our own communities, we don't get along all the time. But here's the thing what does Paul say? Verse 12. What's he say in verse 12? I love verse 12. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. Now, Especially in post-pandemic, we don't do that, right? <laughs> Unless we're That's really close. Right. I That's might right. give Patsy a kiss on the cheek because we're good friends, right? And we have a strong relationship, and I can do that. Um, and she's like a sister to me. But, but what holy kiss is now is saying good morning and smiling to fellow Christians that you have a hard time getting along with. Yeah. That's what it means. That doesn't mean you're being fake. It just means... I'm giving you grace. You are setting aside. I love you anyways. Yes. <laughs> because God loves me, right? And I'm going to respect the person that God that you are because you are my brother and sister in Christ. And we've we've talked about that before. But he wants us to work together for our good so we can work together for his good. If we're all fighting amongst ourselves, about things like you were talking about the devil mm -hmm. we're yes. never going to accomplish anything yes okay and we can talk about reconciliation if you have questions about that come ask us and we'll tell you absolutely what God's, because what god, god tells us exactly that. how that's supposed right. to work you know sometimes yeah. if we if i get into it with sherry what am i supposed to do god tells us what to do about that okay and sherry and i may forgive each other but that doesn't necessarily mean we like each other all yes. the time and that's okay that's okay but I'm still going to love her as my sister, and I'm still going to give her grace as my sister. Yes. That's what greeting each other with the holy kiss means. And so I feel like the enemy has taken that whole fake thing and used that word fake and really twisted it yes. in, our, in our American culture now where we think, oh, well, if I walk into a church and everybody's nice and kind and everything, I'm out of here. There must be something wrong. There's something wrong, Right. And I'm not saying that there aren't fake people in this world. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that dumb. Yeah, naive, yeah. <laughs> you know? But what I'm saying is God is telling us, this is what I want you to do <laughs> as children of God. He just reminded me of something that I almost forgot to mention that I think would, would okay. wrap that up. Perfect. It, it, when it says live in harmony and peace, it, the Greek actually says be of one mind. Yes. But remember that mind we learned is suke. And suke is where the seat of our identity is. So when we talked about loving God with all of our mind, we talked about loving him with the identity we have in Christ. Well, my identity in Christ is the same as your identity in Christ, even if I don't like you. That's right. So what he's saying is we need to all identify with Christ, not we need to all agree. But in order to identify with That's Christ, good, That's good. you yes. have to accept Christ. Mm -hmm. And once you accept Christ and you become one of his children, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you are a part of the identity of Christ. And Paul says, you know what? We need all of you because all of you have different gifts and all of you have different passions. All of you have different responsibilities. All of you have different skills. And I can use all of that, God says, for the sake of the koinonos. So in order to have koinonia doesn't mean that we have to like each other. What it means is we have the same identity in Christ. And we are willing to work together despite our differences. That's not fake. 
That's reality. That's being That's authentic. relationship. That's authenticity. <laughs> That's authenticity. Exactly where I was going. And you know what that yes. brings? Joy. Joy. So let us be joyful. Let us grow to maturity. Let us encourage each other. Let us be of one mind and be whole because of it. And then the God of love and the God of peace will be with us. And we will be able to allow the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to be with us all. Yes. Thank you for listening to The Jar. We want you to know the foundation of all this teaching comes from my book, Rethink, which is part of a series called Finding Hope, Faith for the Frustrated. And it's for those people who love Jesus, but they're struggling with the church and trying to understand where they fit inside the faith. It can be found on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You can ask for it at any bookstore. We ask that you would think about buying a copy and exploring further what it means to rethink your faith and follow Jesus with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength.